Hello and welcome to episode number 60 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and joining me as always is Tony Pauline as we turn our draft reviews to the NFC East and take a look at what the Giants and Cowboys were able to accomplish on draft weekend. How you doing, Tony? I'm okay, and, and this is going to be fun. I mean, as many of you may know, Chris and I are in the belly of the beast of New York, and really it's been nonstop talk, trying to talk Giant fans off the ledge after their selection. I think that was a little bit over the top with their reaction. We usually see that reaction from Jeff fans, but let's get to it. Absolutely, and, and as Tony alluded to, we'll start here in New York, as the Giants have certainly been under the microscope since the end of the draft after their selection of Duke quarterback Daniel Jones at number six overall. Now, we're a bit higher on Daniel Jones than most. There are a lot of people out there who talk about him as a mid-round pick. We're not of that opinion. We had a first-round grade on Jones, but you can certainly debate the value of the pick and the evaluation of having Jones above a player like Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins. It is hard to knock the Giants for just taking their guy at number six rather than trying to trade back or waiting until pick 17 like a lot of people are suggesting they wish they would have done. If you really believe that Daniel Jones is your guy, you don't risk missing out on him by trading back and trying to get an extra couple draft picks or by waiting till 11 picks later. If you believe in him, if that's your evaluation, you go and you get him because there's a situation where you're going to have more regret than you're going to feel good about it in the other scenario. From that perspective, I can understand the pick, even if it may not be the one that I'd have made. Obviously, there are the David Cutcliffe connections as the Duke head coach who also coached up Peyton and Eli Manning. Jones has certainly been coached up at that level. He's got good technique as a passer, but the physical skills don't really wow you as a whole. The question here becomes, what does Jones become at the NFL level? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at our rankings, I had Daniel Jones ranked just below Drew Locke. I really had to hold my nose when I did it because I like Daniel Jones more than I like Drew Locke, but Drew Locke had the better physical skills. He's got a much bigger bust factor. Listen, Daniel Jones is a good quarterback prospect. He's been a good quarterback for three years. When I watched him as a redshirt freshman, I said all along that I thought this guy had the potential to be a big-time prospect. Now, he didn't progress the way I thought he could progress. And in the week leading up to the Senior Bowl, uh, on this podcast, as well as national radio interviews, as I said, the Senior Bowl is a kingmaker at the quarterback position, and I thought it was a major opportunity for Daniel Jones to make a big move up draft boards. I said top 12. Now, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm sure Chris will agree, Daniel Jones had a great first day of practice at the Senior Bowl, but really never capitalized on it after that. So I didn't think that, you know, he did enough at the senior bowl to my, for my liking anyway, to really make that big leap up draft boards as we've seen in the past with the David cars, with the Phillip rivers, with the Carson Wentz's, those type of guys who really use the uh, senior bowl to catapult their draft stock. Still, I think he's a perfect fit for the giants, his playing style, his temperament. He's a thinking man's quarterback. He doesn't have the great physical skills compared to the other quarterbacks, but he has enough arm strength, and he has enough size, and he has, has enough athleticism to be a starter in the NFL. As we've said before, and as I've said before, you know what? The fact is he didn't have the receivers that Dwayne Haskins had. He didn't have the offensive linemen uh, that Kyler Murray had at Oklahoma. He didn't play in the wide-open uh, system. He had very mediocre talent around him. You know, I remember sitting here with Chris and talking in our podcast after the uh, Clemson game, saying, you know, why shouldn't – when people were saying Daniel Jones should stay in college, I'm, I'm saying, why would he want to stay in college? He's getting the crap beat out of him. He's got to pull himself off the field after every play, then hobble back to the huddle. 
I think he made the best move. I would agree with Chris, and I would agree with Giant fans. You know what? If you want to scream and yell and jump up and down about the sixth selection was too early, fine. And I think that Dave Gettleman is just digging a deeper hole for himself with some of the statements he's making. But by no means do I think that Daniel Jones, if you have a problem where the player was selected, fine. You should not have a problem with the player himself because he's a damn good quarterback prospect. And I think uh, he's going to surprise a lot of Giant fans. Yeah, and the thing is, when you draft a quarterback that high, people are going to be happy with it or people are going to be extremely disappointed with it. There really is no in-between. And we've obviously seen the Giants fans' initial reaction. Let's see where it goes from here. The Giants, though, did have two more first-round picks. They only had one heading into the draft at number 17, which we mentioned earlier, where they grabbed Clemson defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence. Then they traded up from pick 37 in the second round for Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker. Lawrence was just inside our top 15 rankings-wise, so the value with the pick was solid. He's a very good athlete for a guy who is really a 342-pound space eater in the middle. He's also shown the ability to fire off the snap and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He had six and a half sacks as a freshman. So this guy isn't a one-dimensional run stopper. Now those numbers tailed off a little bit as more talent built up around him at Clemson. And, you know, we see kind of what happened with the first round this year when it comes to Clemson defensive linemen. But there is a bit more pass rush ability here than many may expect. Baker, on the other hand, to me, that's a risky pick, especially when you're moving up seven picks and dealing a fourth round pick and a fifth round pick just to get up those seven spots. He is a solid fit for the Giants scheme, but his pre-draft process was poor. And not just in terms of his athletic testing, but there were a lot of people that were turned off by his general laissez-faire attitude towards the process. And the idea that he really didn't seem to care about pretty much the biggest job interview of his life. Now, obviously, the Giants were very comfortable with what Baker brought to the table. Tony, are you comfortable with what they did with these two picks? Well, I think Dexter Lawrence was a good pick as far as plays the defensive line. I like where he went. In the weeks leading up to the draft, I had said multiple times that Dexter Lawrence was one of the fastest rising defensive linemen. I just don't know where he fits with the Giants. That's my concern. I mean, you know, is he going to replace Davlin Tomlinson at nose tackle? Is he going to play one of the uh, two-gap defensive end positions and replace Olsen Pierre? I mean, they hit pay dirt, I think, with B.J. Hill last year. I like the player. I just don't know about the fit. We'll have to wait and see. Lawrence, as far as I'm concerned, everyone knows about my love for Cleveland Farrell and Christian Wilkins. But if Lawrence really taps out and plays up to his potential and reaches his uppermost possibilities, he could be the best player of the three, but just a bigger leap from where he is now to getting uh, getting to his maximum. So we'll have to see. I like the player. I just don't know about the fit. And I'm with you with DeAndre Baker. I was never a DeAndre Baker fan. I never graded him as a first-round selection. I agree with you that he's a good fit for the Giants system. As you said, as we broke here on this podcast, I mean, everything leading up to the combine was negative about him. He wasn't taking it seriously. He wasn't showing up to every workout. Uh, And I I said before the combine that I don't think he's going to do well. And he didn't do well testing. He looked terrible in position drills. You know, it's a good system fit. I certainly would not have moved back into the first round for DeAndre Baker. We'll have to see what happens. Now, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer's crew had just one pick on the second day. So we'll kind of combine Old Dominion edge rusher O'Shane Zemenis, who was their third round pick, with some of their day three picks here, which started with Notre Dame cornerback Julian Love as their selection in the fourth round. They then picked up Wisconsin linebacker Ryan Connolly and Auburn wide receiver Darius Slayton in the fifth. They grabbed Washburn cornerback Corey Ballantyne in round six. 
and rounded out the draft with Kentucky offensive tackle George Asafu Ajay. Probably butchered that name. Apologies to you, George. And Syracuse defensive tackle Chris Slayton in the seventh round. Now, Love, to me, was a nice value pick who many are going to project to the slot, and he should compete for a role there with the Giants right away. His size and his speed don't really stand out, but his ball skills do. He's a very quick and fluid mover, so that was a nice pick for the Giants. Darius Slayton is really an enigma because he's a guy who flashes second-day ability, but drops are an issue, struggles at times to come through in contested situations. Overall, he was just a really inconsistent player, but one with a high ceiling. When you watch his highs, you think this guy can be good. When you watch his lows, you think he's not an NFL player. So it's a definite boom-bust pick for the Giants. I personally like the Corey Ballantyne pick. It is unfortunate that he got shot celebrating that Saturday night after he got drafted. It's even more unfortunate that his friend got killed. It's also unfortunate that New York radio host Mike Francesa essentially tried to blame him for it and claim that there were character issues and that the Giants focused on high character kids and Corey Ballantyne getting shot proved that he's not that. That's a bunch of hogwash. And I think Ballantyne's dad came out and pretty much shot down Francesa and was like, listen, man, no, that's not cool. And, and I agree with Mr. Ballantyne there. Ballantyne does have good speed, good athleticism. He sized well, proved that he belonged with Division One talent at the Senior Bowl, immediately stepped in, came out hot in the first day of practice, slowed down a bit after, but still proved that he fit in. Definitely a player who can develop into a contributor for the Giants. Tony, what stood out to you about the team's day three picks? You know, Shane Zeminis is a guy that when he turns it on, he could be a real good edge rusher. But the problem is he doesn't turn it on all the time. He was a guy who came into the season with a top 45 grade by NFL scouts, didn't always play to it, really didn't distinguish himself at the senior bowl. Getting him late in round three, I thought was a good selection. There's a high upside. You just got to tap into it. I thought Julian Love was good value in round four. He's another guy I think that is a good fit for the Giants system. I think he's more of a dime back at the next level. I don't think he's a starter. He doesn't have the great size. But he's got solid ball skills. I was a little bit disappointed the way he played in 2018 coming off the 2017 film. Ryan Conley, I think, could potentially add depth uh, at linebacker as well as be a good special teams player. He's a smart, heady guy. Decent athlete, not great. Doesn't have mental lapses on the field. I think you know he'll be a good backup as an inside linebacker in the Giants 3-4 system. Darius Slayton, as you said, you know, guy's got great athleticism. Guy flashes tremendous upside. You know, I thought highly of him coming out of the 2017 season. Just never seemed to put it together at Auburn last year. Again, we're going to have to see if it's a situation, as we've been talking about with uh, his quarterback, Jared Stidham, where it's more system-oriented rather than player-oriented. But if you get him to pull all the pieces together, you may have something there with Darius Slayton. You know, Corey Ballantyne, you know, I'm not going to go any further what you said about the, the comments Francesa made. I thought they were stupid. Corey Ballantyne's a good cornerback. He's a guy who really stood out the first day of senior bowl practice, looked like he belonged, has a decent upside. Deep speed is a bit of concern, but he's got excellent ball skills. I just hope he's able to uh, rebound from the shooting, both physically and mentally, because you know what? He could be physically ready to play, but he's at a situation where he's out celebrating his success with his friend and his teammate. You know, he comes out of the party with injuries. His friend doesn't come out of the party. That could weigh on somebody very heavily. So I hope he's able to get it back together just for himself. If it's not on the football field, he just does it for himself. I've always been a big fan of Asafo Ajayi. In fact, I had him created as a seventh-round pick at one point in time. I kind of came off him at the end stupidly. I think it's a good selection for the Giants. Don't necessarily know if he's going to play guard or tackle, 
potential right tackle if he's going to play tackle, but I think he could be a good backup. Chris Slayton, a lot of people like Slayton. A lot of people liked him at the uh, Shrine game. He's a relatively athletic guy. I think he'll be good as a defensive end in their Giants 3-4 system. I think he absolutely has an outside chance to make the active roster come this fall. Now, speaking of players who have an outside chance potentially to make the active roster, New York added 10 undrafted free agents after the draft. The two most notable names were Missouri offensive tackle Paul Adams and Northern Colorado wide receiver Alex Wesley. Adams is nearly 6'6". He's got good length, but he's not a great athlete, and his height actually works against him in some ways when he's either trying to move laterally or trying to really squat down and settle into his base. But he does have some potential as a backup right tackle. Wesley was a senior bowl invite, had a decent showing there. He's got good size at nearly six foot, 190 pounds, ran a four five and had good jumps in Indy. Not the most natural receiver when it comes to catching passes away from his frame, but he runs solid routes, really tracked the ball well. So he's a sleeper to make the roster on what really is a somewhat poor receiver depth chart behind Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate with Odell Beckham out of town. Any thoughts on these guys or some of the other Giants UDFAs, Tony? Yeah, Wesley's also a decent punt returner. So if he shows ability uh, returning punts over the summer, I think he could absolutely make the active roster as a fifth receiver. Josiah Teafu, Teafa, however you say his last name, the uh, Texas San Antonio linebacker. You can't help but not notice this guy on film because he's got hair that comes down halfway down his back and it's always flying around. But you know what? The guy is an intense linebacker who I think will be a special teams demon. I think he absolutely has a chance to make it as a backup inside linebacker if he plays well on special teams. And I expect him to play well on special teams. I like James O'Hagan of Buffalo. If you move yourself over to uh, draftanalyst.com, there is a scouting report on James O'Hagan of Buffalo. Problem with James O'Hagan is he's barely six foot two, if he even is six foot two. But he's a terrific player. He's smart. He's tough. He's heady. Understands the center position. I think the lack of height makes it an uphill battle for him, but. Don't be shocked if he surprises in camp this summer. Now, overall, how would you grade this draft? Obviously, it's kind of a polarizing draft for Gettleman among fans and and media aside. What would you give a grade as far as Gettleman goes? I'm going to say average. I mean, if I was going to give it a letter grade, I may give it a C plus to a B minus. I like Daniel Jones, although I think the criticism that he was taken too early is a legitimate criticism. I like Dexter Lawrence. I just don't see where he fits. I don't like DeAndre Baker. Hopefully for Giant fans, I'm wrong for that. Zimenez is uh, a boomer bust type pick. I do like their uh, day three selections. I think these are guys that can help out as nickelbacks, backup offensive linemen, special teams player. You know, I, I, I think this is a draft that most drafts you have to wait two or three years. But I think, especially with this draft, it's a situation where you've got to wait two or three years to see how the top guys pan out. Now, we'll head down to Jerry World next, but first... Please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, the Cowboys were without their first-round pick this year after trading it to Oakland last season for receiver Amari Cooper, who actually impressed in Dallas down the stretch and really looks to be worth the investment that they put into him. They had three total picks in the next three rounds, taking Central Florida defensive tackle Tristan Hill at number 58 in round two, Penn State offensive guard Connor McGovern in round three, and Memphis running back, all-purpose weapon, wide receiver, whatever you want to call him, Tony Pollard 
in the fourth. Now, compared to our board, these picks all came in at pretty appropriate value. Hill needs to get off blocks a little bit better, but he projects nicely as a three-technique tackle in Dallas's scheme. He's quick off the snap, plays behind his pads, and moves well really in all directions of the field. And he can use his 308-pound frame to eat up some space on the inside as well. McGovern is a better run blocker than a pass blocker, which is just fine in Dallas's Ezekiel Elliott-centric offense. He can even slide to center if Travis Frederick's recovery from Delian Barr syndrome, which I probably mispronounced, doesn't go smoothly. But otherwise, he'll battle Connor Williams at left guard. Pollard kind of got the Tavon Austin treatment from Dallas in the media. Last year, they infamously said they wanted to get Austin a dozen to two dozen touches a game, which was just never going to happen. I think he only played 20 snaps in a game once the entire year. They toned it down a bit this time, saying that Tony Pollard could get 30 plays a game. But that would require him to be on the field mostly as a wide receiver, which is certainly possible with his skill set lined up on the outside and in the slot a lot at Memphis with Darrell Henderson dominating that backfield. Pollard really did shine as a pass catcher at the Senior Bowl, and he has the speed to turn the corner as a runner. What did you think of these three picks, Tony? Well, I like the Tristan Hill pick primarily because I called it. <laughs> if you uh, read any of our stuff at draftanalyst.com, I wrote a piece uh, the Monday before the draft about players who were going to go higher than most anticipated. I listed Tristan Hill, and I said that uh, Rod Marinelli loved him. So I expected the Cowboys to take him late in round two, and they did. As you said, I think he's a good fit. He's going to be a very good three-technique tackle for the Cowboys on the inside. He's a guy who can rush the passer. He can make plays laterally. He just needs to be a bit protected. Connor McGovern, I think the New York Jets would have loved to have Connor McGovern as their potential starting center. Otherwise, the Dallas Cowboys, he's probably going to be a backup guard who will eventually, uh, you know, battle for a starting spot. I don't see him battling for a starting spot anytime soon, but I think it's a good pick by Dallas because he could back up a guard or center or fill in a, in a pinch if any of those guys uh, get hurt. I do like the selection of Tony Pollard. I like it because you can line Tony Pollard up all over the field. You can use him as a running back. You can use him in the slot as a receiver. You can use him out in the flanks as a receiver. You can also use him as a return specialist. So I think Tony Pollard, you know, 30 plays, I'm sure that's going to include special teams as both a return specialist, maybe on coverage units. I liked Tony Pollard higher than most. I think this was a good selection. Now, Dallas made five picks on the third day. They grabbed a couple Miami Hurricanes, Michael Jackson and Joe Jackson, in the fifth round. They got Texas A&M safety Donovan Wilson in the sixth, and Ohio State running back Mike Weber and Oregon edge rusher Jalen Jelks in round seven. Now, Michael Jackson is a physical corner, smooth athlete, flashed at times, but really struggled at the East-West Shrine game this year in St. Pete and was overall inconsistent with the Hurricanes. Now, Joe Jackson has also flashed as a plus athlete, he has good speed and bends off the edge, but gets swallowed up by blocks at times. Weber is a guy we've talked about a lot on the show. He's taken a backseat to J.K. Dobbins the last couple seasons, but Weber's a guy who can grind between the tackles, surprised with 4-4-7 speed in Indy, and he can contribute as a pass catcher as well. So that appears to be a really solid late pick for the Cowboys as some insurance and as a backup to Ezekiel Elliott. Where do you stand on these guys, Tony? Yeah, as you said, I mean, Michael Jackson, they didn't have a tough strong game. I mean, he was absolutely awful, which is why he dropped down draft boards. He's a solid cornerback. Uh, you know, I, I think he's good facing the action, potential dime back. Joe Jackson may be a situational pass rusher. Joe Jackson's a guy who has a lot of upside, probably should have stayed in college one more year, but he can get off the edge and make plays up the field. Donovan Wilson, I liked him in 2016. Had an injury, had to sit on the sidelines, comes back, had a solid season last year, even though he wasn't graded by uh, scouts. He's a guy who I think could back up 
potentially at strong safety if he plays well on special teams. Absolutely love the pick of Mike Weber. I think Mike Weber will eventually develop into the Cowboys' number two running back by the end of the season. Uh, I think he's a guy who has a high upside. I think he's a guy who, in the right system, could be a starter at the next level. He's a tough interior runner who has the speed and, and agility to get around tackle. Uh, I, I think this is a sensational pick. Jalen Jelks went, you know, later than most people thought. I had him as a fifth rounder. There were some people who early in the process said he was a first round choice. We talked here how he was consistently outplayed by his teammate. He was a fraction of the athlete of his teammate at Oregon. He is a situational pass rusher who's going to have to do well on special teams. I liked him more as a 3-4 outside linebacker rushing the passer. Right now, he's listed as a strong side linebacker in Dallas's 4-3 system. I think it's going to be difficult for him to make it like that. He's a guy who's going to have to play well on special teams. He's got that mentality. We'll see what happens. Now, Dallas signed 13 free agents after the draft, and several of them do carry intrigue with them. Personally, I'm a fan of Toledo wide receiver John Bay at Johnson's game. He has great speed, over six feet tall, but he's rather thin, more of really a one-trick deep threat at the moment. But I think there's some upside for more as a receiver. Northwestern linebacker Nate Hall struggled with injury in 2018, which led to him falling out of the draft entirely. He's also under 230 pounds without exceptional speed, but he was a three-down player for the Wildcats who can play in coverage. He even did a nice job against Noah Fant when they played against Iowa as well. So there's sub-package and special teams potential there with Hall. Ricky Walker out of Virginia Tech is another three-technique for Dallas, a first-step lineman who really isn't great on passing downs, lacks the strength to hold up against blocks, but his ability to shoot gaps in the run game provides at least some intrigue for him as a potential practice squad player. Tony, I left a couple guys for you here that I know you like among Dallas's undrafted free agents. Yeah, I thought overall this was a great selection. I mean, we talked about, if you listen to our review of the Jets, I said I was surprised because with the Jets, it looked more like roster fill. I mean, these are guys who they may have a, they may struggle to make the active roster because Dallas is a team that's close to getting over the hump. But if they don't make the active roster, they're going to be practice squad players or players that another team picks up as Dallas tries to sneak them on the practice squad. Obviously, Mitch Hyatt, I've been very high on Mitch Hyatt throughout the process. I think he's a legitimate right tackle prospect at the next level. Not the greatest athlete, not the prettiest tackle, but a guy who consistently gets the job done. If he's not a starter at right tackle, I think he can be a backup at right tackle or guard. Brandon Knight has a decent amount of upside. Andrew Dowell, guy you can find a scouting report on him at, at draftanalyst.com, a guy who I was very high on, terrific run-and-chase linebacker. I think he'll do very well, or he'll compete to make the roster because he's a perfect pursuit linebacker. You mentioned John V. Johnson. You mentioned uh, Ricky Walker. Daniel Wise was a guy who was highly rated coming into the year, was kind of out of position at Kansas when he played defensive end in a three-man line. I think he's another potential real good three-technique tackle. Justin Phillips was given high grades coming into the season, kind of fell off a bit. I don't know why he wasn't invited to the combine. I think he should have gotten a combine invite. Again, you can read his report at draftdowns.com. He's a terrific run-defending inside linebacker or middle linebacker in Dallas' system. If he plays well on special teams, I could see him uh, making an active roster. Larry Allen Jr. of Harvard, well, that's the definition of nepotism because uh, I never expected him to get drafted. I thought it was going to be a struggle for him to get signed after the draft. No surprise that the Dallas Cowboys uh, signed him. No first-round pick for Dallas this year, obviously, as we discussed. But in the end, they did a decent job the rest of the way with the picks that they did have. As you mentioned, they did well in free agency, too. Overall, Tony, how would you grade the Cowboys draft? I think they did a solid job. I mean, Tristan Hill, I think, is a guy who's going to produce as a rookie. 
Connor McGovern, he may not produce uh, as a rookie, but it won't be because of lack of effort or lack of ability. It's just going to be just going to be a numbers game because Dallas has so many good offensive linemen. And again, I think that's a guy that the New York Jets would love to have. Pollard, I could see him doing well as a situational player, pass catcher of the backfield, situational ball carrier, and especially return specialist. Later on, Mike Weber, I think this is a guy who is only going to get a few touches per game because of Ezekiel Elliott. But if Ezekiel Elliott goes down with an injury, I think Weber is a guy who could step in and, and start for him on occasion. And that's all for the 60th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show... Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll have another podcast for you Friday to wrap up the NFC East with the Eagles and the Redskins before taking the weekend off. And as always, head over to draftanalyst.com for our 2020 mock draft, as well as scouting reports for all the draft picks and free agents your favorite teams added in April. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Chaputi. We'll catch you soon.